Hey, everybody, it's Matt Gurney. Hey, everyone, it's Jen Gerson. This week at the line, just as we decide to professionalize our podcast, the Canadian government is coming to fuck us up. And I hope you enjoyed the use of my word fuck there because it might be the last time I'm using it in public. We always enjoy the use of the word fuck, but we got a lot of other things to talk about, including a stark warning on financial matters that is somehow maybe not quite stark enough. And related to what Jen is talking about, why we're a little bit worried about what Google might do, all this and more in this latest episode of The Line Podcast. Coming up in two weeks in Toronto, a reminder, our first live and in-person event. We sold a bunch of tickets this week, but we still have some left. If you're interested in joining us for our talk on October 18th about whether Toronto has gone nuts, drop us an email, line editor at protonmail.com. Yes, it's got nuts. Jen, here we are. Here we are. We're on the line podcast. Why? it's just one of the things I've I've said in recent years, and look, this this is an industry wide problem. It feels like every time something goes well, something terrible happens. Yes, yes, I think that that might also be a consequence of being old now. <laughs> so I think that we should sort of step back. Let's assume that our audience has not been following the ongoing drama laid out by our current liberal liberal government to regulate the internet. So there have been two concurrent bills here on on this subject. There's been C-11, sort of the Online Streaming Act, and C-18, which has been the Online News Act. Now, people who have been following us here at the line will know that I have been a a talker on C-18 quite a lot. I've written a lot about it. I also uh, testified before uh, both the House and the Senate committee, totally bombed in front of the Senate committee, but that's another matter. Uh, in stark opposition to C-18, which is the Online News Act, which was the act that is attempting to force Google and uh, Facebook to pay a certain amount of money to legacy media outlets in exchange for the for the uh, privilege of hosting legacy media outlets on news links. Meta has responded to that in Canada saying, yeah, no, and they've just cut off all Canadian news links. Um, and we are awaiting to find out how Google's going to respond to this. We're going to put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that. Yeah, we'll talk that about wasn't, Google in a minute. That wasn't the, the major news this week, although it was a major news item, and it's something we do need to talk about. Oh, and they're related. This, yeah, and they're related. Instead, we're going to talk about C11, which is the Online Streaming Act, which was an attempt by the Canadian government to bring um, online streamers under, under the aegis of the Broadcasting Act. Now, I need to explain what this is a little bit for people who are just tuning in, because the Broadcasting Act, initially what that was supposed to be was that you had a a public regulator um, who said, look, there's a finite amount of electromagnetic spectrum. We have to decide which companies are going to get access to this public good, the public good being the electromagnetic spectrum. And we need to make sure that they're doing a public good in exchange for access to this. So when... Electromagnetic spectrum was a finite, scarce resource that that was a public good to manage and and, and contain. Which was, sorry, Jen, to clarify, we would be used for radio or television yeah, transmissions. Correct. Radio yeah. and television transmissions. That under that under, under under that kind of logic, the Broadcasting Act made sense, and over time, the Broadcasting Act sort of started to expand 
um, its understanding of the public goods. So it didn't just say, okay, you, CBC, you get access to 91.9.1 and you, radio station Y, get access to 97.8. Over time, it, it, it became a broader definition and it said, no, you need to be able to um, provide news on your channels and, and, and you need to be a, a source of information for the people who are using this public good. And there were certain back and forths between the private and the public sector as a result of that. So there were many, for example, uh, major uh, media companies that also uh, were not only um, content providers, but were also telecoms providers. So in, in exchange for being regulated on the content side, often they got privileged and protected access to the market for telecommunications which had the effect of creating a telecommunications oligopoly in Canada. That's why our cell phone bills and our internet bills are much higher than they are in many other comparable places in the world. So this has always been a very messy space. But then, you know, into this space, you have the internet. And the internet doesn't have that scarcity problem. Internet bandwidth is um, only as limited as your ability to create uh, more space via servers and, 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 and ISPs and things like that. It's, it's, it's constrained only by private capital. And as internet bandwidth has become more and more cheap, essentially, it has effectively become infinite. There is no inf there is no finite amount of digital bandwidth space that needs to be regulated. And therefore, there was never any logic to expanding the Canadian regulatory's mandate into the digital space. Like, as Matt and I can tell you, podcasts, for example, are, are the, or this is not an area that suffers any kind of market failure in Canada, right? Like the, 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 the barrier to entry is incredibly low for most digital um, content creation studios. It's not zero, but it's almost zero. And, you know, because it's a global market, us Canadian podcasters can compete in a global marketplace, which means we can build an audience not only in Canada, but we can also build an audience in America. We can build an audience in Australia if we want, right? So it's always been a very freewheeling space. However, in recent years, it's clear to me that the Liberals has, have started to see the internet as a very threatening space. And as a result, um, you have seen a government that... Uh, absolutely wants to start to impose the same rules that they have imposed traditionally on television and radio onto that digital space. And those rules um, uh, do bleed into content provisions. They, they, they bleed into the sorts of in, um, content that you as a Canadian can access through can, what we call CanCon provisions. So most uh, television and radio um, stations are mandated by law to provide sort of like 30% of their, their content has to be quote unquote CanCon. So it has to be Canadian music or Canadian shows or Canadian whatever. And of course this required a very Byzantine bureaucracy to, to, to be established around the concept of what was Canadian and what wasn't Canadian. And it's just as bizarre as you might expect. But it also includes like, for example, um, industry players uh, have to join a quote unquote voluntary self-regulatory, self-regulated um, uh, uh, Whatchamacallit, body called the Canadian Broadcast and Standards Council that would do things like uh, accept complaints about content or they would dictate what kind of language you could use. Fucks are out. <laughs> Fucks are out on, on Canadian broadcasters and, and, and always have been. Um, so, you know, there is a degree of, of, of uh, uh, content and tone policing that exists on, on public broadcasts or pu public airwaves. Um, and Jan, then, if, you, if you'll pardon the interruption, I'll just say mm -hmm. I have been subject to CBSC complaints or threats. Yeah. I, I have been on, in radio broadcasting for a number of years. 
I don't honestly recall if anything has ever actually gone to a, an actual level of review at the CBSC. But I remember <clears throat> this is years ago. There was kind of one of these stories of like the, there had been like a dog left in a hot car. And on the air, I had just said something with the equivalent of smash the window, get the dog out. Mm-hmm. Like something like very just flippant. And then someone reported me or threatened to report me to the CBSC for encouraging property, like encouraging the destruction of property and vandalism. Now, I don't think that went anywhere, but the point I'm only making is that there actually is a regulator for if it's television or radio and in content, it doesn't have to be saying something grotesque, like vile or racist or homophobic. It doesn't have to be saying something profane or repugnant. It can just be something you disagree with. Now, yeah, and this I, I don't Canada think, is a nation of Karens. Let's be blunt. I don't think the CBSC has been particularly weaponized to the extent that it indulges a lot of the stupid complaints, but the, the possibility exists. Well, and I'm going to get into that because it's something that we need to understand um, because it, the way that it is, this is going to be applied in Canada versus the way that it, on, on to public broadcast versus the way it would be applied to a digital space. There's a distinction here that we need to get de- delve into so that people really understand the risk. Okay, so I'm going to get there. But yes, that's a really important point. Canada's a nation of Karens. Complaints hit the CBSC all the time. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, as much as the CBSC is, quote unquote, a voluntary, notice I'm doing air quotes as I say that, voluntary organization, at the end of the day, it reports to the CRTC. What the CRTC said is that, look, we have um, in our in our statute, in our regis- legislation, part of our mandate is to ensure that this finite spectrum is going to high quality broadcast content, right? And the industry said, well, wait a minute, we don't want the CRTC dictating to us what counts as quality. So we're going to create a self-regulating body made up of us to decide whether or not these complaints are valid or the quality is valid, right? So it it's a bit messy, but ultimately the, the CBSC is subject to CRTC, to the C, it's a body of the CRTC. If it weren't for the CRTC, the CBSC wouldn't exist. Um, and I think that another thing that's worth pointing out here is that not everybody is a member of the CBSC. The CBC, for example, we have too many acronyms in this goddamn country. This Canadian Broadcast Corporation, the CBC, which is the main publicly funded broadcast corporation here in Canada, uh, is not a member of the CBSC. Instead, what they have is they have their own internal complaints and ombudsman system. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, even those co- internal complaint systems are subject to the CRTC. So there was one case, for example, about Radio Canada and the use of the N-word on on air. I remember that. That went through the internal system. And when that internal um, uh, remedy wasn't deemed deemed satisfactory, it was ultimately heard by the CRTC, which ruled against the the CBC's ability to use the N-word. So all of this is, is still government regulation. So what's happened here is that the government has passed a bill called C-11, which is trying to expand the powers of the Broadcasting Act into the digital sphere, even though the inherent logic of the Broadcasting Act no longer applies in a space where, where bandwidth yep. is infinite. So what it what is going and and the government was very clear to say this isn't going to apply to user generated content. We're only going after big web giants. And for a long time, people kind of bought that. They're like, okie dokie. Well, this week, any illusion that they were only going after web giants was totally shattered because what the CBC, what the CRTC asked for, the CRTC being the regulator, what they asked for was that all companies who are generating revenue greater than $10 million, so it's a pretty low bar, 
on content, including podcasts, which by the way, they didn't say before the podcasts were going to be regulated. Podcasts now have to register with the CRTC and they have to do it explicit with the understanding that this is explicitly a prelude for further regulation. So it's not going to be, it's going to be a slow and steady as she goes pace. But the only reason to register with the CRTC is that the CRTC is so that the CRTC can understand who's out there and who needs regulating. Okay. Which stop and think about this for a moment. Your regulator doesn't even know who that needs to regulate is pretty crazy in and of itself. Now there are a lot of people who have defended the CRT saying, well, honestly, what company is making more than $10 million? This isn't going to cover podcasts. And like, that's kind of half true, but not totally true. Certainly we at the line don't meet the $10 million threshold. We are not going to have to register with the CRTC. But you want to know who probably is going to make the $10 million threshold? The companies we distribute our podcasts through, including Substack, Google, Apple, and Spotify. Bingo. And so what that means is that if Google, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all of these companies now have to register with the CRTC with the understanding that if they register, they're probably going to get regulated by the CRTC. Now, essentially what happens is the Broadcasting Act and all of the provisions spelled out in the Broadcasting Act under C-11 is now going to apply to all the Canadian content that they distribute. Mm -hmm. So they're not going after user-generated content. They're going after all of the distributors that user-generated content relies upon. And this is where it gets really, really fucked up because I pointed this out in my column this week and that I think that uh, Warren Kinsella basically spotted the real fear and the real concern about this. And that is, firstly... All you need to do now is go to Apple News and say Matt Gerson, sorry, Matt Gurney and Jen Gerson are offensive pieces of shit who have contravened section 388 of the dog's breakfast that has become the Broadcasting Act. You know, we're we're going to file a complaint with you. And these distributors who are overwhelmingly American distributors are going to be like, cool, D-list. And it's not going to take very many complaints for them to just say, it's not worth it for us to risk a run-in with a regulator. It's not worth it for us to do. And I think that this is something also that a lot of people have fundamentally misunderstood about this law is that, you know, you, Matt Gurney, radio host at Bell or, or whatever, or Global or whatever, if somebody wants to send a bunch of stupid complaints about you to the CRTC, the company that hires you has a vested economic interest in defending your right to speech, okay? Because it's a Canadian company, you're a Canadian talent, you know, their credibility and 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 their investment in you is, is wrapped up in defending you to the best, to the degree possible, and to making sure that, you, that the CRTC just can't shut down every single high-profile talent they have, right? There's a vested a the, interest in that. A lot of the contracts, in fact, would make it explicit that if I'm exchanging on-air commentary that the company is obligated to defend me yeah. against reasonable legal challenges. Yeah, exactly. But if now we're taking that regulatory system and we're applying it to Apple, you think Apple's going to go to bat for you and me against a CRTC complaint, regardless of whether or not it's frivolous? No. You, you think that Spotify is going to give a fuck? No. No, they're not. None of our none of these American distributors have an economic incentive in defending our right to use their platform. They just don't. And as a result, what you're going to get is that either bad faith complaint logging, which of course we've seen plenty of in recent years, 
Or what's more likely is that you're going to have people like you and me tone it down, make sure our complaints stay under the water, stay just popular enough to make sure we can live a living, but not too popular so that we don't offend too many people. Stop swearing, because of course, swearing is not going to be permitted anymore. And just doing what we can to stay afloat so that we don't catch the attention of the wrong types of people and we can maintain access to these American distribution networks. And that to me is can only have a chilling effect on speech in this digital space. And it puts people like you and me at extraordinary risk. And again, I'll get to this point later, but yeah, it does come down to a kind of slow burn cultural censorship issue. And this is why I am incredibly angry and pissed off about it. Have I explained that well? Uh, as as well as any mortal can. It's it's a regulatory mess. It's a bureaucratic. It's a regulatory mess. mess. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, a couple of things I would I would say in reply is that I, I broadly agree with you. Um, I do, and I do think there's a lot of um, either accidental or I, no, let me rephrase that. There's either a lot of sincere or insincere uh, refusal to actually understand what is being suggested here. Mm-hmm. Any argument that basically goes, what is the line making $10 million is either dis- disingenuous or stupid mm-hmm. because the threat is not to the line directly. It is to the services the line uses to reach listeners. Yeah, And if those are choked off for us, the line podcast will exist. And it will be enjoyed by dozens and dozens of people. And this is, um, and and, and if people do not understand that, or if people have chosen to not understand that, well, some of that's a problem we can perhaps fix. Some of it we can't. Some of it. Well, for now we can fix it. For the for the moment we can fix it. Um, How much longer? The other point I would make is, and I I think you well you describe well the the problem with. with spectrum, electromagnetic spectrum, where once upon a time in the old glory days of AM radio, if you had two stations that were too close to each other broadcasting on the same frequency, they would wash each other out. Neither would be yeah. listenable. There really was a need, not only on a national scale, but on an international scale. Like you could not have two channels, one in Toronto and one in Buffalo, trying to drown each other out on the same frequency. You had to figure this stuff out. And I think as television and radio still uses mostly over the air transmissions, but especially as television moved more into the cable or satellite or now fiber optic era, the CRTC has for a generation now been a broadcaster in search of a purpose. And a regulator in search of a purpose. Pardon me, correct. And, um, And I think part of, you know, the CanCon stuff, and again, I say this as a guy who's been hosting radio or television programs or or appearing on them for more than a decade i am cancon i have no illusions about that i have had lucrative jobs that exist to satisfy a regulatory broadcast requirement and the company probably would have been perfectly happy to spend a tenth less money licensing some u.s courtroom drama to air Mm -hmm. in that time instead but there was a cancon requirement that i've benefited from but I think as the CRTC watches its over-the-air transmission evaporate even further, it is looking for, for ways to to uh, stay relevant. And in, in a lot of the pushback this week, Jen, that I've been getting about this, I think once people understand the spectrum issue, they might still want to talk about the CanCon issue. That's complicated. But the one that keeps bubbling up is, well, the government needs to know who's telling Canadians what because of misinformation yeah. and disinformation. Yep. 
And I, I'm not blind to the fact that we have problems with both and that we might need some sort of coordinated national response, particularly if foreign governments are deliberately torquing us here. But there is there is no way to even consider going down this path without arriving inevitably at the realization that none of this works unless there is a central authority somewhere in this country that gets the final say. And I look around at the state this country is in, and I don't see anyone I trust with what, that job. What central authority are you going to trust to dictate is misinformation that Canadians can't hear or aren't 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 responsible enough adults to handle? What what? Because it's not just going to be a the Liberal government today; it's going to be the Conservative government tomorrow. Worse do than you that. trust? Do you trust Pierre Polyev to be dictating what is considered misinformation? I, I, mean, I don't. I'm going to be even darker than that. There are a lot of people today, and I've spoken with some of them, who are personally who are personally invested in this because they're liberals. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, but hey, our government promoted this. Our guys, you can trust us. And then, Jen, you I, raised the, the, I don't, the I don't well, trust, I don't either. But I don't trust the government. But I'm you raised you raised the concern of what about the next government? I'm going to take things a step further. What about seven governments from now? Yeah, I want someone to tell me how comfortable they are with there being an apparatus either on a voluntary or involuntary basis somewhere within the Canadian government, probably in, in, in a, in a CRTC-like commission, if not the CRTC itself, that is going to be choosing which podcasts or whatever we're calling them then are accurate information to broadcast to Canadian society under the neoconservative government of 2072. Mm-hmm. Because you build in a regulatory framework for this stuff, it lasts a long time. And, and the proof and as of we've, this and is as our 1980s seen, vintage CRTC is trying to figure out what the fuck to do in the early 2000s. Yeah. Once you create a regulatory body, the regulatory body needs the next thing to regulate. They, the, all of these art departments, the more government departments you create, the more government departments you are stuck with forever because they will always find new ways to justify their own continued survival. There is no such thing as a government regulator or a government department that says, you know what? Our work here is done. It, it always bleeds out, right? Whole um, careers are spent in these things and then bureaucrats are hired. You've probably heard the expression that the bureaucracy is expanding to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy. That's right. In this that's country, right. we have not, like, we don't do program reviews on a regular basis there's no there's no constituency in the government it's going to look there's, at this and go should we just kill this thing yes yeah, is, it, like, is, is it time it... for this to end is this still needed um no never happen it will never happen and i mean here we get to the fundamental problems with regulation of free speech and this is goes back to the to to ancient greece and that is who do who do you trust to hold the pen who do you tr trust to decide what adults get to hear and see and 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 who who has the intellectual and the philosophical depth and intelligence to be able to make those decisions? Is it going to be me? You going to leave that to me? One of the things okay. I find. I mean, I, who who do you trust? About? And this is one thing that also makes me very angry about this whole argument is that, of course, the conservatives have responded to this. I, I don't know in, in a lowest in the lowest common denominator way by saying this is censorship. And you've had a lot of very highbrow, smart people saying, well, this isn't technically censorship and they're completely just fear mongering, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going like, the liberals are putting us on a path toward a highly restricted speech regime. All right. An extremely restricted speech regime. And your response is, but Pierre Polyev's tweet was bad. 
and I, 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 I keep on like, I, I, I can't keep on losing my mind to this because I'm saying whether or not you want to consider this censorship or whether or not you want to consider this incompetent regulatory framework, we can debate how many angels are on the head of a pin. Like you can make the argument that this is about censorship. I mean, you can. Um, I think that it's more complicated than that, but I mean, he's trying to reach out to a, to a, to a relatively small, to a relatively uninformed audience who maybe isn't up on the details of the regulatory system here, right? So he's trying to simplify it in a way that most, most people can understand it. And you guys are fixated on the fact that he's calling it a censorship regime instead of focusing on the fact that the Canadian government, the people who actually have the power right now, Pierre Polyab doesn't, the people who have power right now are trying to register fucking podcasts. And, and this, like, to me, I keep on, I keep on getting, like, this is something that drives me nuts when I see it in my peers. It's something that drives me nuts when I see it among fellow pundits, focusing more and more on the slightly, the wrong tone of somebody who doesn't have any power at the moment, the wrong tone of the opposition leader, instead of the actual actions of the people who do have power. And like, I'm all cool with shitting on Pierre Polyev. Hey, you and I do it all the time. It's, it's, it's fun. And when he's in power, believe me, he won't like us. Nobody does. Once they're in power, they don't like us. He doesn't like us already. He doesn't like us already. When we're in power, he'll like us. When he's in power, he won't like us. He will like us less. That's the nature of what we do. But I still have to keep my eye on the prize here. One of these men and one of these governments actually has the power to fuck up my business right now. And one of these men does not. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's that's just, I am the prize, everybody. I am the prize. I am the um, actual government. Yeah, no one will ever know that. Um, like that's that's eternal. Two points I would make is we actually mentioned in our last dispatch, uh, in in the fallout of the the India affair, how nice it would be to have a conservative government that hit the government on its actual fuck ups and did not torque them all to the maximum eleven, and then for the better Twitter ads. This liberal government is serving up softballs on the daily for the conservatives to just crush. And instead of doing like take just a good meaty swing at that juicy softball, the conservatives are shooting bullshit surface to air missiles at the incoming softball because it makes better Twitter copy. Like, I, I agree with you, Jen, 100 percent. Like the focus has to be on the government, but I just have no enthusiasm for the likely successors to the government. What I will also say very much in, in this point is that many of my of smart liberals out there genuinely believe that Pierre Polyev and the modern conservative party is putting Canada on a path to authoritarianism. We can talk about whether or not that's a rational concern or not. We can debate that. We can have that conversation, but I'm just putting it to the side for now. There are people out there today who are intelligent and thoughtful, but are so wrapped up in the political hysteria right now that they are worried that Pierre Polyev will be putting us on a path to authoritarianism and see absolutely nothing wrong with what the liberals are proposing about online content regulation. Mm -hmm. It's it. If you are worried that Pierre Polyev is going to put this country on a path to authoritarianism. Then why are you giving the power, the authoritarian powers to, 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 to a government that Pierre Polyev is probably about to be at the control of. If you honestly believe that Pierre Polyev is going to be putting this country on a path to authoritarianism, the rational thing to do now would be, to take policy steps today that will limit or constrain his ability to use the apparatus of the state to do that. And instead, we see the exact same human beings. This Venn diagram is awfully fucking close to a perfect circle 
of being like Pierre Polyev is going to put this country on a path to authoritarianism. And we fully support Justin Trudeau government effort to establish a sweeping regulatory regime that will have the ability to encompass an ever greater scope of the Canadian media and broadcast landscape. And I am so sad. I am, I am reasonably convinced that if you and I were to personally explain this to these people, sit down, get a cocktail, get an appetizer, lean in close, look around the bar and make sure no one's listening and go, if you actually think Pierre Polyev is a creeping authoritarianism, why are you supporting a government that is likely in its final act, putting in place a regulatory framework that'll make that job easier? I think about 10 to 15% of them would go, huh. And about 85% of me would, uh, them would look at me and go, yeah, but Pierre Polyev's bad. Okay. So here, here, I need a, I need, I need to just get this point across because it's so foundational. And that is the reason why, like I said, there are no such thing as free speech absolutists. All of us generally have some realistic boundaries on free speech when it comes to libel. You know, we do have hate speech laws in Canada. I, I get that. Sex, sexually, a, ch- a child sexual abuse material, revenge. Uh, porn, yes, absolutely. Hate speech, incites threats to violence or bodily harm. Yeah, like, but 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 the bars there are pr- pretty high, and the bar there is really high for a reason, and that is because for us to have a conversation about. Pierre Polyev's policy that is an act of creeping authoritarianism, we need to be operating in a a, a speech environment that is free and liberal enough for us to criticize Pierre Polyev. Same thing with the liberals, because I said the powers and and constraints that you put on yourselves, you put on your enemies. That's just how the system works. That's how the game works. If I can't call out a government minister for lying without that government minister decrying me as somebody who's engaging in misinformation, then we then there can be no political back and forth. You've you've shut down the ability to actually criticize the government in any meaningful way, regardless of whether or not it's a liberal or a conservative or an NDP one. It's Jen, I mean, for the second time in this conversation, I'm I, I see you and I raise you because it's worse than that. If you criticize a liberal minister under this regulatory regime, the liberal minister could be an absolute paragon of, of democratic virtue and could they go, mean well, so you know well. What? And no, 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 no. More than that. They could go, yeah, you know what? I think Jen's criticism is unfair, but in a liberal democracy, she has the right to make it. All that needs to happen is that 12 people on Twitter hear what you say and don't like it and file that complaint. Yep. The government can keep its hands completely free completely and clean. completely clean. They could all this be is, this absolute is not about, This is not about maturity. free speech or censorship. Don't be silly. This isn't about free speech or censorship. This is about the regulatory authority doing its job. People, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain to humanity that what you think you're doing to help yourself will eventually be used against you. Speaking and, of which, thinking about doing the things that you think you're doing to help yourself will eventually be used to get against you. Should we describe the latest about what's happening with C-18? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, and, and this is very much related. I, I said before we well, you said before we would talk about Google and we are because. First of all, I want to make a I want to make a broad political statement, and then I want to make a narrow one. The broad political statement I'm going to make is that if you 
you know, I, I understand that C11 and C18 are different pieces of legislation. And I've seen mm-hmm. some people, smart people, commentators in recent days going, the conservatives are, are deliberately um, conflating them to confuse people. I think there's probably some truth to that. But what I would point out is that there actually is something that C11 and C18 have in common. And it's a really, really important thing. The same people are doing both of them for the mm-hmm. same reasons. And if you can, you can tell me all day about how C11 and C18 are different bills to which my response is that the same guys who have completely fucked up C18, and we're going to talk about the latest on that in a moment, are the same people ignoring the same kind of warnings from exactly the same kind of outside experts was they're proceeding ahead with C11. They, and, and- the government vastly overestimated its genius on C18. Mm-hmm. They're doing it all over again. Okay, so tell me what you heard about Google a couple of days ago, and then I'll tell you what I read this morning. Okay, so a couple of days ago, it became pretty clear. So in response to C-18, which again is the the attempt by the Canadian government to follow in a version of Australia's bid to shake down Facebook and Google for money to be given to legacy media outlets, my objections to this are manifold. I've discussed them at length. But one of the big concerns was, what if these big companies just respond by saying, Audi, like, what if they just do the math on this and decide that participating in this regulatory regime will cost them too much money and put them at risk of having that same legislation replicated in other jurisdictions would effectively wipe out their profits? And they just say, no, they just pull out. Um, and we saw the Meta do exactly that. Meta has cut Canadian media off. They've just said, nope. That, that your bill is so flawed, your regulation, regulatory process is so flawed and presents so many legal and, and financial liabilities to us that it is more profitable for us to simply pull out of this country, this country is distributing this country's news content, than for us to seriously continue to engage here. Meta is hard out. Um, one of the that was bad enough, and that's bad enough, especially for startups that over that disproportionately rely on on. Meta for building audience, especially relied, in small. Jen, past yeah. tense, relied. Relied, yeah. Small small media startups and especially small local media startups disproportionately relied on on Facebook. They 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 needed Facebook groups. Um, major, and then it went away. And then it went away. So all the things that would replace these failing big monopolistic media companies have just been cut cut off at the knees. Uh, and then it got worse because then we started to think we started here that Google might do the same. Google started started A/B testing some some of its search results, not giving Canadians news to see how they would respond. And when this came out, it was a big scandal. But of course, Google's responding to exactly the same legislation and the exact same incentives. And they were like, "We have some real concerns. We're going to see what how like you have your legislation, which once again, just as a side note, liberal legislation is a dog's breakfast. Everything that they're publishing is." poorly written, unclear, don't worry about it. We'll we'll deal with your concerns at the regulatory level shit. Don't and worry, Jen Gerson. We'll fix the kill Jen Gerson act in the regulatory yeah, we'll, we'll kill me. Exactly. Right. It's don't worry, Jen Gerson. You have nothing to be worried <laughs> about. And then and then also they were they it's very now consistent to this government to sort of rig the committee process to ensure that actual dissent isn't being heard or people who are dissenting against these bills are being demonized. Um don't get me into that. And also they, they've they've made multiple moves now to cut down on, on actual debate in the parliament. 
So they're now uh, very consciously cloistering themselves um, so that they're only hearing from, in the case of C-18, legacy industry lobbyists was the only people who they were actually listening to. They had some token people like me come in and, and give our little token speeches and then they they shat all over us. Like it was, that was just what it was. They, they didn't want to hear it. They did not want to hear people say, if you do this, you're fucking us over. Um, and we were right, by the way, because we are getting fucked over. But the end result is um, our concern was uh, Google was going to essentially do the same thing that, that Meta has done and say, look, we're not, if you if you were going to make a subject to C18 in this great, huge, multi-million dollar uncapped liability, our response to this is just going to be to pull out of the market. We're just not going to distribute news links, these news links that you claim that we're stealing from you. And and that response, Meta was bad enough, but if Google were to pull out of distributing Canadian news links, that would represent an existential threat, especially to some media organizations that are already on their last legs. It 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 would be a significant immediate drop in traffic, but it would also significantly reduce their visibility nope. as well. Um, and not to say that this would only make all of the disinformation, misinformation issues that you're worried about worse, because it would mean that the only information that people are now getting access to are it's not news sources, right? Um, it's it's so bad. It, it it is so bad. And Google was a little bit more uh, amenable than Meta was to say, well, you know what? Maybe we can work out something in the regulation process. Maybe the CRT will be able to um, alleviate our concerns. But this week, Google came out in in the Globe, and they just issued a comment that was like, "None of our issues have actually been addressed in regulation. Yeah. We, so it, like this, you haven't fixed the problems. The problems are inherent to the legend. They've come to the same conclusion that Facebook has, and that is, the legislation is so bad that the regulations can't fix it. Yeah, and you can't so fix the kill the kill Jen Gerson Act in the regulatory phase to satisfy it, Jen Gerson. Yeah, exactly. And basically, what it's looking more and more probable now. Now, I don't know if what Google's going to do. I don't have the inside track there. But it is now looking more and more probable that by mid-December or before, before. I, I think that there are high, there is now high probability that Google's going to cut us off, that Google is going to cut Canadian news off from its search results. And yep. that's going to be, it's going to be fucked. <laughs> it's going to be, so, I'm going to use the word fuck as often as I can while I still can. It's so fucked. Um and I think that unless the government is willing to eat its pride and go back to parliament and fix some of this legislation, it's not. And it's not. It's not. No, I mean, and that, this is hands down not. And we've seen this already. Yep. When, um, when despite months of warnings from both Meta and uh, independent industry experts that the government was about to drive Meta out of the country's news business entirely, proved to be 100% accurate. Instead of the slightest moment of reflection or pause, what we had was the prime minister reference fighting fascism in the Second World War. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I even saw people who I believe are not necessarily partisans, but are ideologically predisposed to support the current government. I'll, I'll, I'll be polite. I'll put it that way. Who went from this is a flawed bill that requires revision to Canada shall not be bullied by these foreign-owned uh, tech companies Yeah, in about you know, two, three blinks of an eye. Mm-hmm. Th- this is, and this is something that is very related to what we were talking about just a minute ago about how bro- C-11 brought to you by the people behind C-18. They completely fucked up C-18 in a predictable way. 
and then responded to that result, the consequence in a, in a predictable way. Why am I to expect any different on C11, both in terms of avoiding obvious errors and then responding well to rational market-based reaction from the companies that choose to opt out from being subject to them? Well, Matt, but do you want to hear what's even better about being Canadian? Shall we shall we sump, put the cherry on top of all of this? We have free health care? Uh, no. Uh, after C18, which is, by the way, also not going to wind up funneling any money back to the newspapers, by the way. Yeah, you I spent know. a multiple year lobbying effort making a terrible deal with the devil that actually isn't going to wind up paying out. Good job, legacy media. That's the business acumen that got you to the place where you are today. I have nothing but anger toward anyway and then on top of c11 which promised us that it wasn't going after user regulated content don't worry youtuber you'll be safe is now going to be registering all of the distribution networks that those user generators generators rely on so thanks everybody and in the process by the way the crt is now moving ever closer into your quote-unquote print newsrooms fellow legacy journalists well done um now, next coming up sometime in the near future, we have this government deciding to triple down on its internet regulation regime with something called the Online Harms Act. Mm. We don't yet know it's going to come in the Online Harms Act, but we have a government with its own issues around misinformation, let's put it kindly, now wanting to put forward legislation that will regulate misinformation and hate speech even more. And to what credibility this government has or imagines it has to dictate what counts as harmful information online is going to be a real interesting show. But I made a tweet, a controversial tweet that is, and that is if the government, this liberal government continues on this track and we're not here yet, but if this liberal government continues on the track that it is currently on in the not so distant future, the Canadian information sphere is going to look as bad or as worse as it does for the average Chinese citizen. And I'm not kidding about that. The average Chinese citizen can Google the fucking news. All right? The news is controlled, but they can Google it. The news is controlled, but they can Google it. News is controlled, but they can Google it. Anyway, I just... You're grumpy. I'm in a very angry space right now, Matt. You know what? Maybe I, I'm i just that time of the month. But you know what? I'm in the, I'm in the bad... I'm in the bad place. I'm in the bad place. I have no safe reply to that comment. You have none. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Look at the way Jen just effectively regulated my free speech. Um, 100% I did. I'd do it again. So moving on to a couple other federal matters, there's one There's one thing I actually want to talk about, and this is one thing I want to mention. And the mention is that um, it was reported this week that the first draft of the Pharmacare bill uh, presented to the NDP by the Liberals as part of the confidence and supply agreement, the NDP have rejected it. And I don't really have anything to say about that because it seems likely and or probable to me that that is bargaining and that they're hmm. going to send it back a few times, see what they can get. The only reason I bring it up at all is because uh, the Liberals remain in polling free fall. And I do suspect there are some in the NDP leadership that are wondering how long they ought to be carrying this thing along. And I know that the conventional wisdom is that the NDP cannot dare go to an election today because they would get wiped out. And I think that's 
I think that is accurate. I, I think this, like if there was an election held tomorrow, I do not think the NDP would do well. Yeah, but how but, much more are they reasonably going to get out of the current supply, supply and confidence agreement? More to the point, will they do even worse 18 months from now? Mm. I, I don't know. But if people at the NDP headquarters are not thinking about that, they're idiots. Mm-hmm. And I have not discounted the possibility, having watched the NDP in action in recent months, that they are not, in fact, run by idiots, which is odd, because I think some of the smartest people in Canadian politics are actually career NDP operatives. I think it's kind of like, you know, there's a reason Israel and Poland are very good at intelligence. They have to be. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are going to be a good political operative for the NDP in Canada, you have got to be better than the liberal or, in, or conservative operatives because they outgun you 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. So I think they have very smart people working for that party. At least some of them have got to be saying, you know, guys, if we go to the polls now, we're going to lose seats. If we go to the polls 12 months from now, having continued to prop up this government, we may lose more seats. I'm not. It's not a prediction I'm making. It's not a guarantee. But it's a possibility that they have mm-hmm. to at least be thinking about. That's well, all I got to say about it. It's and they've like, also got to they've also got to start doing the math on on diminishing returns, right? What else are they likely going to get out of another year and a half of government? Just materially, what what gains do they think they are still going to acquire acquire here? Look, right. As soon as the confidence and supply deal was announced, you and I in one of our dispatches, I, I went back and I read it this week. We were bang on. The problem with the confidence and supply agreement between the NDP and the Liberals, if from the perspective of the NDP, it's not that we'll be able to wring some promises out of the Liberals. It's that the Liberals have a proven track record of not being able to deliver on their promises, even the mm-hmm. ones they want to deliver on. Mm-hmm. So diminishing returns, God, I think we're already well into that. So that's, I don't know if that's even worth a written blurb in the dispatch. That's just something I noticed this week. Yeah, and I absolutely. went, oh, interesting. Like that has now bubbled out into public. So that's worth keeping an eye on. The main point I wanted to make, and it's going to seem a little bit abstract at first, but David Dodge, former governor of the Bank of Canada, one of the the top respected economic minds in the country, was uh, in parliament this week, and he was giving some testimony um, talking about the state of federal finances. And podcast listeners, YouTube viewers, don't tune out yet. This is not going to be boring. I know you think it is because I said David Dodge and federal finances. but this Nothing is, is boring when you and I are talking about it, although I will admit I did start to zone out a little so bit there. I could see it happen. Yep. So he was talking about federal finances, which is not the interesting part of what he said. He was talking about federal finances, and one of the things he talked about was um, – uh, the basically the numbers are bad, rising debt costs, uh, growing expenditures by government to keep up things like health care and things like that. He basically read the riot act to the government of we're going to have to actually get on a more sustainable fiscal footing. But he also said something that was really interesting, and it was almost an aside he made. He said, we need to have tough conversations. Canadians, I, I forget his exact wording, but it was like Canadians are realistic people. Like, have the tough conversations. Canadians are realistic people. I don't like it when I hear econom- econ- economists say stuff like that. That's that's not that's never the happy. That's never the happy sound. No, it, I agree. But that's not the part that I even thought was interesting. What I thought was interesting, I thought about it. I'm like, I don't think Canadians are realistic people. <laughs> and and I'm not and I'm not meaning this in like a, in a we're cheeky... just saying we're just saying we hate us. That's all. No, no, no. We hate ourselves. We're self-hating Canadians, Matt. Just admit it. It is not that. I think Canadians are realistic people inside a very small box that has, and all of the experiences within that box are the geopolitical order of the last 75 years, 
a low interest rate environment that lasted for an entire generation, a housing market that never, never goes down, only goes up. Canadians are realistic people within the confines of their of the 90s. experiences of the nineties of yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not saying this to be doom and gloom again, these are not predictions, but us doom and gloom. Oh, our right. Canadians are realistic people on the sense of contemplating what it would look like if we had a massive commercial or residential real estate meltdown in this country. Our Canadians are realistic people about thinking what's going to happen as government debt continues to roll over, not just in this country, but in the country to the South of us, what that's going to do to everything we rely on for our economics here. And I think when I thought about what David Dodge was saying, I think I knows what he means. Canadians are polite. We're good listeners. We're generally, and we do what we're told. We're, we're open to hearing out the other side. We will give respectful consideration so I think when David Dodge says that Canadians are realistic people, I think what he means is that we're a respectful, polite people, and we're good listeners. But Except I you and me. We're assholes. Eh. Also, I why think... Canadians like us. We're like the dark side. We're like the shadow selves. Well, I think sometimes we say things Canadians wish someone had said before. Mm. But I, I, I do not accept as a given that Canadians are realistic people because... In recent years, in fact, I think we have seen plenty of examples of Canadians making extremely unrealistic assumptions. I think you and I have spent some time in this podcast talking about how there is an almost perfect Venn diagram overlap between the people who think Pierre Polyev is a budding authoritarianism and the people who think expanding the ability of the government to regulate media and free speech is a good idea. That's not a realistic take. I would actually go so far as to say that's a really fucking stupid position to hold based on realism but canadians are not a realistic people here what has been jen my meta narrative for the last three years expectations are a problem oh that one too canadian well i mean that's i mean that's my way is the nicer way of saying it yours is the soon to be barred way of saying it canadians are canadians i think think they're realistic people but they have being realistic people formed in an environment of economic plenty, low interest rates, housing prices appreciating every year, paying for everybody's retirement, access, imperfect, but access to healthcare. All of the operating assumptions of Canadian society for, I would say, the least 20 years, in some places going back 50 or 70 years, are under siege. Some of them will probably hold. The law of averages is that not everything will change. Some things will even change for the better, but some things are changing for the worse. We are realists having evolved an entire society in a historical fluke of a utopia. What is going to be the Canadian response? And I think we're like, this is not a hypothetical. And this was something I was talking about on a different radio program earlier this week, where I was on with a very smart public policy professor who was talking about, well, we have to consider like what's going to happen to Canadians if uh, housing affordability uh, prevents a generation from getting entrenched or if uh, rising cost of food forces middle class families to rely on debt in order to pay uh, uh, daily expenses or if uh, security problems in the cities result in people not feeling comfortable. And I was like, my dude, these are not abstract future <laughs> hypotheticals. We've actually sailed through a few of these things already. And I think when I see a guy like David Dodge say that Canadians are realistic people, 
what I'm actually seeing is perhaps in its own way, one of the bigger red flags I've seen in recent years. One of the things that you and I have said repeatedly is that there are no adults in the room. And I think if you believe that there are still adults in the room, that itself is not realistic. And I cannot tell you how many times in recent years someone has said to me, or you, guys, you're too doom and gloom. You're, you're too pessimistic because all that needs to happen is one, two, three, four. And then I just go, why has one, two, three, four not happened? And the person has no response to that. At a certain point, we have to assume that the reason we have not done some of the smart things that would help us isn't because no one has thought of them yet is that we are either incapable of doing them or political incentives have led the people with authority to choose not to do them. Or and both. that is a different problem. So our Canadians are realistic people, some of us, but I don't think we're in the majority, and I guarantee you we're not in power. That was quite quite the video essay, Matt. Thank it you. It was really good. Thank you. Um, Subscribe today. Subscribe today. Subscribe to the line for more brilliant doom and gloom essays from Matt Gurney and Jen Gosen. Um, you know, my only my only response to that would be like, no, we're not a realistic people, but we're about to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? Some of us, but like I was saying to you a few minutes ago, there was an opportunity for realism when Meta pulled out, and instead we got we shall fight yeah. Meta the way we fought the. We Nazis. shall fight them on the beaches. So. Look, reality will have its way eventually. So I agree with you that we will all be realists eventually because reality has a way of prevailing in the end. But what I have seen recently in the last couple of years is not a sign of dawning realism. It is an entrenching of our delusions. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's right. Doubling down. Like a doubling yeah. down on... I'm sorry, if you are someone who, again, who I, I'm hammering this point repeatedly, but it's the example du jour. If you are someone who thinks two things at once, A, Pierre Polyev is a creeping authoritarianism, B, we need expanded regulation of media content, you're not a realistic person. You think you are. You probably, like, again, you're probably going to be insulted that I'm telling you you're not. But people have lost the ability to detach their emotions from their analysis. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what's happening us too. Now, sometimes, by the way, I'm not. I'm not yeah. saying that we're innocent of this. I'm. I'm upset. Free speech is a free speech. I mean, not the idealized version of it, but like real realistic free speech to me is central pillar of liberal democratic stuff. I think that all of our other rights and our abilities are rooted in our ability to speak and think as we choose, or th or to think to speak and think as 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 fits our 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 experience in our lives. I think that if you start to constrain that by a centralized authority, every other freedom collapses from there. I think it's so basic to who and what we are. And and it's so basic to our society. It's basic to our ability to organize. It's basic to our ability to have a civil society. I, the fact that we have a government, a quote unquote liberal government that is like prancing along, we mean so well, tra -la 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 -la, you know, that they were not able to stop and say, hey, wait a minute people can't get news on their Facebook feeds anymore and to, and to double down on their partisan assumptions and their cloistered sort of worldview, even in the face of just blatant evidence that what they were doing is causing harm to something that is fundamental to a democratic society, a liberal democratic society. It, to me, it's deal breaking stuff. I mean, I realized that once I said that the real single vote issue for me was going to be the state of our passport and how ugly it was, that was a joke. This isn't. 
Okay. This is, this is, you can't, if you can't, you can't have a free society. You can't, this, in a liberal society, if it's, if it's, if it's, if what you can say and what you can think is being dictated to by technocrats, that's not a democratic society anymore. So I'm going to, I am going to fight this one on the beaches, I'm afraid. People need to be pissed off about this. People can't be, and I, I say this as well, this is one thing that makes me so angry is that part of the reason why Canadians are sort of willfully ignoring this or willfully saying, well, but you know, maybe the regulations won't be so bad. You know, like they're kind of doing that is because we're a f- fundamentally complacent people who, as you say, have been raised in, in in a utopic fluke of history. And they don't, they honestly don't think things can get that bad here. And they things think things will, you know, think people mean well, it'll work out for the best. These are, these are good intention people. They're not actually mm-hmm. out to do any harm. It'll all work out. Don't you, don't you worry. And I, I, I can't scream loudly enough that that's the assumptions that you're basing. Your expectations are are a problem. The assumptions you're basing that analysis on are a problem. The fact that the government means well means that it's just incompetent and it can't see the harm that it's causing. And I don't, and I'm not even convinced that they mean well, you know, and, and, and by the way, you as a citizen, regardless of what your political point of view, never assume that the government means well. Never assume that. Sorry, I'm cranky today. I'm cranky and I'm upset today. You've been cranky all week. I've been cranky all week. I don't even know what's happening to me. But I'm very upset this week. In my very Canadian way. And I'm trying to be nice about it. Should send a clip of this to David Dodge. Invite him to lunch. Um, Totally. uh, Well, look... I don't. <laughs> I had an interesting talk about a year ago with a buddy of mine who uh, gleefully told me that my worst case concerns about the st- at the start of COVID had not come to pass. I said, "You're right." I said, "But it was a lot worse than you expected it to be." And he thought about that for a minute. And he was like, "Huh? Yeah, that's true." People like to be able to point to the person saying that the end is near and say, ha, that person was wrong. And they take a lot of validation and vindication from that. And it doesn't always stop to occur to them to ask, has their life gotten better or worse in the intervening period? Mm. And I don't think Canada is fucked. I don't think we're doomed. There is no such thing as an end. There is no end. The ride never ends, baby. Well, I feel like you just tempted fate, but I think the, the, <laughs> the broader point is simply, are we on the right trend? Are we trending mm. in the right direction? In some ways, yeah, we are, unquestionably. In other ways, we're not. And Argentina never thought it was going to become Argentina. Mm-hmm. The countries that are failing are rarely aware that they're failing. And all of them mean the well, people, trust me. All of them mean well, or at least, yeah, look, we're all the main characters in our own life story. Yeah. All, every last one of us is the protagonist in the story of our lives. So, I, eh, well, please click like and subscribe and leave us a review on this podcast or this video. And please sign up for your free account at readtheline.ca. For Jen Gerson, this is Matt Gurney. Have a wonderful, oh, yeah, we forgot. 
Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a wonderful Canadian Thanksgiving, everybody. Love you. Love you, Maul. Love you all. Love you all. Bye.